Well, this is our fifth week now in our Lenten series, Before the Cross, where we're looking at Jesus' final words to his disciples before his arrest. And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week, uh, John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there, John 15, 18. Right. This is a little bit of a long passage. We're going to read the whole thing. Just try to focus on the words now. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen... And yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. All right, a lot to unpack there. But there's two main things that Jesus is communicating to his disciples here. One, the opposition that they're about to face. And two, how the Holy Spirit will help them. And we're going to spend most of this morning talking about the opposition. 
Jesus says, the world will hate you. He says that the disciples are going to be put out of the synagogue, meaning they're not going to be welcome anymore in the Jewish houses of worship. And he even says that people will think they are serving God if they kill them. And what Jesus said did happen. Right? Early Christians were kicked out of the synagogues. They were persecuted. Most of you probably know that the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, before he became a Christian, he was a Jew who believed it was his duty to persecute Christians. And the Bible says that he was breathing out murderous threats against Christians and that he even gave approval when one of the Christian leaders was stoned in front of him. So this passage definitely came true. Jesus' words came true. And you know, then in the Roman Empire, uh, for the first couple generations of the church, some Christians were fed to lions for entertainment. Sometimes Christians were unable to participate in commerce because in some places, if you were going to participate in the marketplace, you needed papers to indicate that you had participated in ritual worship of the emperor, which is something that Christians, of course, could not do in good conscience. In fact, this is an aside, but you know how there's that place in the book of Revelation where it talks about the mark of the beast in 666? A lot of scholars think that 666 is a coded way of referring to the emperor at the time. And the mark of the beast was these papers that you needed in order to demonstrate that you had done your due diligence and worshipped the emperor. Right? So Christians were persecuted. Some of them were even burned at the stake in the Roman Empire. And throughout the last 2,000 years, up until today, there are Christians who have continued to be persecuted. I don't think there's been a time in history where there was no persecution of Christians. Uh, one of the missionaries that we support as a church is a man named Ellie Band uh, from Burkina Faso, uh, a friend of Martha Nason's. And back in December, he sent this prayer request. You guys might remember this if you were here around Christmas. Uh, he said, please pray for the believers of Patinga and Mahadaga. This morning, jihadists went there today, preached, and said that any Fulani Christians must leave their faith and follow the way of Islam. If not, the jihadists will come back and kill them. So they're all afraid. Pray for God's protection and for wisdom and courage. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I have never been given the ultimatum, convert or die. But there are still people in the world today who receive that kind of ultimatum. And I wish I had a specific update about those believers in Patinga and Mahadaga, and unfortunately I don't. I know that Ellie is alive and well. The last update that I received uh, included some pictures of them distributing grain, which uh, there's a famine going on in that area, and one of the ways that the church ministers to people is by handing out grain uh, to help people alleviate needs during the famine. Um, and so some of what we raised ended up going to help purchase that food. Um, so Ellie, Ellie is alive and well. Um, and I'm sure that even if the jihadists did not come back to Patinga and Mahadaga, 
the threat is still looming over the Christians there. Right? That's not just something that goes away. According to Open Doors International, this is an organization that studies persecution. Uh, you can read some of their research yourself on opendoorusa.org. Uh, according to them, more than 340 million Christians are currently experiencing high, very high, or severe persecution. Now, for context, in 2020, the population of the United States was 329.5 million. So there are more Christians throughout the world today experiencing high, very high, or severe persecution than the entire population of our country. And that's today. Open Doors puts out a list every year of the 50 countries where it's most dangerous to be a Christian. And uh, the most recent list put Afghanistan at number one, North Korea at number two, and Somalia at number three. And in case you're wondering, no, the United States is nowhere on that list <laughs> and nowhere close. About three years ago, uh, the BBC uh, posted an article where they reported on a study and they estimated that one out of every three people in the world experiences religious persecution. And Christians are currently the most persecuted group in the world. And as I share all this, I think it's important to recognize, okay, Christians are not the only persecuted group. And there have been times in history where people bearing the name of Christ have done persecuting. Right? So we don't want to... We should acknowledge that. But a fact that often goes unrecognized in the United States right now is that the group that is most persecuted in the world right now are Christians. This same study uh, said that in some regions, the level and nature of persecution is arguably coming close to meeting the international definition of genocide according to that adopted by the UN. So Jesus knew that this would happen. And he wanted his, his disciples to be ready. He wanted us to be ready. And so he told them, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So in other words, if you face hostility for following me, you shouldn't be surprised about that. that. That shouldn't catch you off guard. And you certainly shouldn't see it as a sign that God isn't with you. right? God was with Jesus, but Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was crucified. I think it's, it's very important for us to hear what Jesus is saying here. And just to recognize that Jesus never said, follow me and you will have an easy and comfortable life. That, that was never the promise. The author C.S. Lewis recognized this. You guys 
probably know him. He's the author of the Chronicles of Narnia and many other books. And C.S. Lewis once wrote, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Now, I want to be clear. Okay, Jesus did promise us incredible things. Right? He promised eternal life, forgiveness of sins, rest for our weary souls, peace, joy. The best things that we could possibly want, he promised to us. But he never said, oh, if you follow me, it's just going to be easy. You know, he said, there's a cost. There are sacrifices. Now, with all that said, I think it's important that we don't look at this passage and make the wrong assumptions. And I think there's two wrong assumptions that a lot of people make from verses like this. So, first bad assumption is if you aren't being hated, you're doing something wrong. You know, maybe as I read Jesus' words, you thought, I'm not persecuted. Does that mean I'm not really following Jesus? And the answer is no, not necessarily. You know, we do have to keep in mind that Jesus' primary audience with these words were those 11 disciples, right? That's why he warns them that they'll be kicked out of the synagogue. I've never been kicked out of a synagogue. Most Christians never have occasion today to be kicked out of a synagogue, right? So there was a very specific audience here. But you might say, oh, but Ryan, I mean... Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Isn't that clear? That if we're really following Jesus, we're going to be persecuted. Well, again, not necessarily. Who is the they that Jesus is talking about here? Well, if we go forward to verse 22, we get a clue. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. So the they that Jesus is talking about are the people that he came and spoke to during his earthly ministry, the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, and he's saying that those people persecuted me, which they did, they eventually got Jesus crucified, right? He's saying if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also, which they did, and that's why the disciples got kicked out of the synagogue, right? So Jesus is not promising that every Christian that ever lives, every real Christian, is going to experience severe persecution. But he is saying that the disciples will, and that they're going to experience persecution at the hands of the same people that persecuted him. So, you know, if you don't have a lot of people hating you right now, don't jump to the conclusion, oh, I must be doing something wrong. Okay. So that's the first, first assumption you don't want to make. The second bad assumption is if you are being hated, you're doing something right. So, there's an author that I really like. His name is Sky Jatani, and this is the way he puts it. Some suffer for righteousness, but frankly, some Christians suffer because they are insufferable. So, Sometimes people identify as Christian, but the fruit that the world sees is, you know, rudeness, 
controlling behavior, um, a lack of curiosity, judgmentalism, hypocrisy. And people who demonstrate those qualities a lot, sometimes if they receive any criticism or any anger for their behavior, their reaction will be to say, well, Jesus said I'd be hated. And that's, that sort of justifies whatever reaction they're getting in their mind. And if any of us are inclined to think that way at all, I think we need to remember what Jesus said right before he talked about persecution. Last week, the last verse that we read was, this is my command, love each other. Right? So, if we're making enemies... We want to make sure we're making enemies because of our love, not because of a lack of it. Now, you might ask, well, does being loving actually get you enemies? I mean, come on, right? Nobody, nobody makes enemies for being loving, right? But I would say, no, you absolutely can make a lot of enemies if you try to be a truly loving person. I mean... Jesus showed compassion to the people that the Pharisees had rejected, right? The tax collectors, the sinners, the Samaritans. And he called out the Pharisees for their lack of compassion for those people. And the Pharisees hated him for it, right? That love gained, gained him enemies. You know, I th someone else I think of would be the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer showed love for the Jews uh, by resisting the Nazis, right? By taking a stand against Hitler. And boy, did his love gain him enemies, right? He went to jail, and he was eventually hanged. You know, and then I also think of somebody, another pastor like Martin Luther King Jr. Right? He led the campaign to end Jim Crow segregation laws, and that in, in itself was an act of love for those who were oppressed. But at the same time as he did that, he tried to love the oppressors as well by consistently preaching this ethic of loving your enemy. Right? He said that our goal is not to destroy those who oppose the civil rights movement, but to transform them into friends. You think, how could anyone hate a guy like that? Well, his house was bombed. People shot in the windows through the street, from the street. He was once at a book signing, and somebody stabbed a seven-inch letter opener into his chest. The doctor said that if he had sneezed, he would have died. Received constant death threats. And of course, he was eventually shot and killed, right? Love gained him enemies. So yes, if you truly practice love your neighbor as yourself, or as Jesus said, love as I have loved you, then that can gain you a lot of enemies. And what we have to make sure is that if we are making a lot of enemies, it should be because of our love, not because of a lack of it.
So we shouldn't make either of those assumptions, right? I think we also need to be careful about how quick we are to use the word persecution. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was persecuted. Martin Luther King Jr. was persecuted. The Fulani Christians in Burkina Faso are persecuted. The disciples were persecuted. If anybody is trying to kill you because they think it's a service to God, then you are definitely persecuted. You know, but if somebody says happy holidays to you instead of Merry Christmas, you're not being persecuted. I think sometimes in the United States, we consider things persecution. There are really more a loss of cultural dominance. And there's a big difference between those two things. The loss of dominance is not the same as persecution. And when we act like any loss of dominance is persecution, we come across to the world as entitled and selfish. And that's not the way that Jesus would want his church to come across, as much as we can avoid it, right? But let's get back to Jesus' words. So we've identified what they're not saying to us. But what are they saying to us? We should not hear a promise of life-threatening persecution for everybody. But we should hear Jesus saying, expect resistance. Expect resistance. Expect that when you follow me, Forces of darkness are going to push back. They could be forces within you. They could be forces in your family. Forces in the culture at large. All kinds of demonic forces. Expect resistance. That when you really try to follow me, there's going to be pushback. When we choose to really follow Jesus, it's kind of like we start poking a beehive. And uh, the more we follow, the more we poke the hive. The more we poke the hive, the more likely we are to get stung. And the word that Jesus uses for the hive is the world. Right? The world. If the world hates me, remember that it hates you, remember that it hated me first. Now, he could have just said, if the Pharisees hate you, remember that they hated me first. But he uses the world because I think he wants us to realize that the Pharisees and their whole way of thinking is part of something much bigger, right? The problem is not just the Pharisees. The problem is the whole way that the world tends to operate. There's a certain order that is opposed to God and God's will. The Pharisees are just one expression of the worldly order operating all over the earth where people seek money, power, security, without regard for justice, love, mercy. And Jesus pushed back 
against that worldly order, right? He called out the religious leaders' failure to practice mercy, love, and justice. He condemned the idolatry of money. He refused to pursue power through, through violence. And as he did that, he poked the beehive. He kept poking the beehive. And he got stung, of course. And he says to those who follow him, expect to get stung too. Someone is not going to be happy when you push back against the worldly order. Some people will get very upset if you're not willing to worship whatever the world worships. If you're not willing to worship a certain you know, political authority or hierarchy or racial hierarchy, there will be pushback. Think of Bonhoeffer. Think of Martin Luther King Jr. Think of the disciples. Going up against the hive is difficult. And you might be sitting here this morning and thinking, I don't know if I'm up for that. That's scary. You know, I know, if I could be very honest with you guys, I know for me, when I hear stories about persecuted Christians who are given the kind of ultimatum that the Fulani Christians were given, I think, do I know anything of that kind of faith? That kind of faith that persists even in the midst of extraordinary resistance? That is so humbling for me. You know, I, I preach on Sunday morning and I go get takeout. And I don't worry anyone's going to kill me for what I said in the morning. But here's what comforts me. Remember, Jesus talks about two main things in this passage, right? Not just the opposition we face, but the Holy Spirit. He keeps bringing up the Holy Spirit. Because those two things are related. Jesus knows that the the disciples cannot go up against the hive in their own strength. He knows that's impossible. He knows they need help. And so he's assuring them, when I leave... The Spirit is going to be available. I'm going to send an advocate, a defender. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. As you come up against the world, you are going to have strength from another world through the Spirit. Jesus says, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. Right now, to testify means to bear witness, right? So to bear witness about what? Uh, to bear witness that Jesus is the true king of the universe. To bear witness that Jesus is risen from the dead. To bear witness to a different order than the worldly one. And Jesus wants us to know that we are not expected to bear witness to all this on our own. We are expected to bear witness. The disciples are expected to bear witness. But it's, you also must testify. Right? You're doing this kind of with and, and, and complementing what the Spirit is already doing. Because you can't do it on your own. Right? You, you need to be dependent on someone else. In your own strength, you are too weak to do this. You know, if you think, I could never stand in the midst of that kind of persecution. Well, in a sense, you're right. Right? But with the Holy Spirit, what is impossible becomes possible. 
Jesus says that when the Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, this section is a little confusing, but if I were to summarize what Jesus is saying here, I would put it like this. The worldly order, the hive, has its own ideas about what's right and wrong, and its own ideas about what's worthy of honor and worthy of judgment. But the Spirit will expose the foolishness of the world's thinking. The Spirit will help you to see that the world is broken and will help you to rise above its foolishness and to take your cues from heaven. To close, I want us to notice one verse where Jesus says something really remarkable. You might have missed it when I read it earlier. Chapter 16, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So what Jesus says there is basically, you will be more empowered through the Spirit than through me sticking around in the body. You know, you might have thought at some point, I know I've thought this before, it would be easier to follow and believe in Jesus if he was right here, you know, like he was for the disciples, and I could just see him in the flesh in front of me, doing miracles and that sort of thing. But Jesus doesn't seem to think that's true. Right? What he says here is that there is a degree of empowerment through the Spirit that was not possible when Jesus was here on earth. It's good for you that I go away. You're going to be stronger. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, Jesus assures us that if we ask for the Spirit, God will give it, give him to us. God does not withhold the Spirit if we... If we really want it, we ask for it. For him, excuse me. So don't assume that you're too weak to resist the hive. The spirit living in you is greater than the spirit in the world. So draw near to the spirit. Invite him in. Depend on him. And God will give you strength to bear witness to the kingdom of God. Lord, this is a heavy message to think that we're, we're called to this kind of resistance against the evil of the world. And Lord, I, I pray that if we feel overwhelmed this morning, that you would help us to recognize that that feeling is, in some ways, it's a good thing because... It keeps us from pride. It keeps us from arrogance. It, it brings us to that place of humility where we recognize we really need to de depend on you. We need to depend on your spirit in order to really be salt and light in the world as you call us to be. So Lord, I just pray that you would empower us, that you would empower your people. We pray for those who really are persecuted, the millions of people around the world. Lord, we pray that you would give them strength. And we pray, Lord, that they would know uh, a peace and a joy in the midst of their resistance against the world's order. Um, 
that, uh, that is just exceptional, Lord. We give you thanks for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.